0: What is going on crypto family so today we got Rand Nooner coming on I've seen this guy in conferences all over the country and I think even overseas so I've definitely seen Rand quite a bit sat on a bunch of panels with him over over the past couple of years you know always cool to hear his thoughts on things Rand is the uh, co-founder and CEO of onchain Capital he's also on South African TV as a CNBC crypto trader in this interview we talk about him as a helicopter pilot We talk about his thoughts on Bitcoin his thoughts on government. Uh, living in new york now and all the taxes and regulation that he has to deal with we talk about digital cash we talk about what uh, on-chain capital is doing in the vc world what he does for fun and a ton more just a friendly reminder crypto Beatles shows are never financial advice recommendations or trading strategies the views expressed here are solely that of robert Beatles and his guests robert Beatles is a co-founder of the monarch wallet post of Trading New Sessions, Crypto Beetles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor investing in anything is super dangerous you can lose all of your money so always trade at your own risk and one last thing before we get into this please help us grow the family give us a comment and review on the apple or google play store it's super quick and easy just scroll down click the little stars comment and just help us grow the fam all right so let's go check out the interview i'll catch you on the other side what is going on crypto family so thanks a bunch Rand, for coming on i appreciate you buddy looks like you're coming right from the man cave so where are you at in the world right now
1: well, I am indeed in my man cave. As you can see, the the home theater system is behind us. And uh, here, here I am in the man cave. Got to hope I'm not
0: on the big screen. Am I on the big screen right now? Are you looking at the giant beetles? Eh? I,
1: I, I can drop the screen for you if you want.
0: <laughs> I don't want to scare you, man. So, awesome. Well, I've seen you a lot, you know, over you know over the past you know couple of years at a lot of the crypto conferences and whatnot. And for, you know, a couple of people out there that don't know who you are, uh, maybe just kind of give us, you know, the, the brief bio. Who is RAN? You know, some of the stuff that you've done, um, how you got in the space you know, all the basics.
1: All right. So um, I'm an entrepreneur who was living in South Africa for many years. Uh, I built up and sold the biggest marketing business in Africa. And I, I built it up. It took me a long time. It took me 17 years to build it. And then I sold it in um, what was then the biggest deal to happen on the African continent in the media uh, sphere. And um, I promised my wife that we were going to retire. That was that was it. You know, we were going to retire and we were going to go and travel the world. And that was it for me. And then um, the last project that, that company worked on while I was at the company was a project called M-Pesa and M-Pesa is peer-to-peer money transfer which is quite dominant in Africa and specifically in Kenya and um, one of the things people don't know about M-Pesa as successful as it is in in places like Kenya is that in South Africa it failed and it failed primarily because of the friction within the banking system and so when I saw systems of friction (laughs) no you would never believe it I know that but when I saw Bitcoin I realized that actually what Bitcoin was, was it was Impesa without the banks. And I, I immediately fell in love with the idea. Now, that's not the first time I saw Bitcoin. I mean, I saw Bitcoin before that. And uh, I actually said no one would ever buy this digital fairy money. Uh, but when I realized that Impesa was working and that Bitcoin was Impesa without the banks, then I kind of started dabbling in Bitcoin. And, you know, as with everyone else in this industry, the minute you start dabbling in Bitcoin or crypto, that's it. You're in the rabbit hole and that's the end. And so here I am, probably four years later now. As you know, I host uh, the world's, still the world's only televised cryptocurrency show. televised on CNBC, CNBC Africa. And um, I also, I have an investment business in this space called OnChain Capital, which uh, does a lot of investing in this space. Um, We're also about to make an announcement about um, rolling out six accelerator programs around the world. So uh, stay tuned for the announcement. I can't reveal too much today, but um, we can have a meaningful conversation about it. Gotcha,
0: and then you talked about you know getting bit by the bug. I think a lot of us can relate to that, and um, you know I think a lot of us got a lot of credibility today when we had the uh, the Treasury Secretary get up there, and basically you could see that they were scared of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and Libra, and you know you can see that the old guard is worried about losing control of their dollar to you know this magic internet money, right? And so what what did that do for you? Did it did it scare you, or are you like, yes, that's a
1: win? I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw that there was a almost an unplanned press conference called Around Cryptocurrencies today. And the reason is, you know, cryptocurrencies have been here since, you know, depending on on where you look at it, but since Satoshi wrote the white paper, let's say, and that's over 10 years ago now. We're talking about something that's been around for 10 years. All of a sudden, everybody seems to have woken up. Now, we all know that the reason why everybody's woken up is, of course, Facebook's Libra coin. I think that the U.S. government and probably every government in the world is actually fighting now a battle on two fronts. So why do i say that up until now governments have owned the financial system and that's given them all the power that they've had but you know the person with the with the treasury um has the power and governments have controlled the treasury and with it of course they've controlled the power but now with cryptocurrencies they've lost their power and that's one battlefront which they're fighting they haven't taken that battlefront very seriously and probably because we are a very small industry we're you know $280, $300 billion industry, we've been close to a trillion dollars. But now, the second front has opened up, and that is governments fighting against big tech companies. And the problem is that now it's it's like a country fighting on two fronts. They may be able to contain the cryptocurrency thing. They're keeping a close eye on it. They're keeping a little bit of tabs on it in terms of KYC, AML, regulating exchanges. What I don't think they expected was that their biggest enemy, which is big tech, actually joined the fight with cryptocurrencies, and that's very, very, very scary for them. The way I see it today, um, Mark Zuckerberg may be the most powerful man in the world. Arguably, <laughs> he has a population bigger than any country that, 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 that exists. I mean, he's got a population of 2.2 billion people who all love using his services and use it every single day, and we've seen the power that, that this man has, and it's going to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. And now, when you give him the treasury, and that's effectively what we're doing, don't for one second think we're not giving him the treasury here. The way I see it, just like some of the stablecoin proposals that I've seen out there, it starts off backed by a basket of currencies, but then the un- then Libra, the currency itself, starts to build more trust than the underlying currencies. And then what happens is they just remove the underlying currencies, and then bam. Just a dollar. <laughs> currency in the world.
0: And yeah, you've got the dollar, right?
1: And like Uh, the dollar, it's over.
0: Yep, (laughs) they just keep removing the assets backing it, right? So, and then just in the end, they just say, "Trust me, it's worth something." So, (laughs) that could definitely happen here.
1: I think the U.S. is now in full-blown panic mode. I mean, we saw that they issued that stop uh, instruction to Facebook. We saw a draft bill. Trying to prohibit big tech companies from linking up with financial services companies in the realm of digital assets. I mean, what kind of panic does that represent? These people are are, are running around, not knowing what to do. Today they issued a uh, emergency uh, or unscheduled press uh, report. Tomorrow there's going to tomorrow and Wednesday there are going to be two days of hearings. Good times ahead. Good times ahead.
0: Yeah, I love it. But one of the things that I saw today, just like you said, too, was where they were talking about keeping, you know, big tech out of, you know, basically digital currencies and things like that. But when you look at the big banks, don't they have more engineers and developers and people like Facebook? Wouldn't you consider like Goldman Sachs to be bigger tech than Facebook, even though Facebook has more users? potentially, and is, you know, when you think of it, it's kind of like tech for social media. But when you think about the, you know, just kind of the monetary, you know, I guess, structure underneath all these banks that's run by engineers and coders, who do you think has more tech? Who has more programmers?
1: You know, the difference here is, um, I don't think it's a function of who employs more tech and programmers. I don't think that we can dispute that google and facebook are light years ahead of any bank when it comes to technology don't forget that the current banking system and primarily in the us this is something that i've recently been initiated into is the banks are a front for the central bank and the government they act under the regulation and the control every single move that the banks make in this country is highly 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 regulated so you know when you walk into a bank they decide whether they can give you a loan or not give you a loan, not based on their own decision, but based on rules that the government has put in place, which, by the way, you know, there's this thing called the credit score, and you know, otherwise, they can't give you credit. So, the banks, unfortunately, you know, when I look at a bank, all I actually see is the extension of the government, the agents of the government. Yes, they can disguise themselves as having shareholders, but when the shit hit the fan, like we saw in 2008, who took ownership of the banks? The government and, you know, they do it under the guise of protecting people. But I think what they're saying is we're protecting our own power. I don't believe specifically, having spent time in the USA now, that the government's banking regulations are there to protect the people. Because if they did, there wouldn't be such a debt problem in this country. There wouldn't be people that can't pay back their student loans. The most ludicrous thing in a country that charges so many taxes I live in New York, the tax rate in New York, before you look at the sales tax, is 55%. Are you telling me that at 55%, you still can get yourself into student loan issues? Come on, do do me a favor. So when I look at the banks, they're an extension of the government, and there is no way that an extension of the government can innovate at the same speed as Google and Facebook. And I think that now we're getting to that crossroad where government and big tech are now gonna start clashing to a point where someone eventually has to win this war. Up until now, they've avoided the war, and Facebook's like, you know, they got a five billion dollar fine, and they just, you know, took it as a, you know, well, thank you. We'll take the fine. Google has got similar fines. Amazon has got similar fines. But you realize that the governments are now getting to a point where these bat- these cold wars are actually going to start becoming real wars. And I think at the end of the day, big tech is much more powerful than government. Um, and I think that's going to play out in. In the next couple of years, in the the years ahead of us, big tech is going, the war between big tech and government is going to play itself out.
0: Yeah, I, I don't disagree. The thing that I was mentioning with the banks, so having more engineers and programmers, it was because the bill was, you know, written to keep, you know, kind of the big tech out. But they, you know, in in a sense, are kind of the big tech. And I've I've always called them kind of the, uh, the blockers for the quarterback. So you got, you know, the banks and all the banks are just kind of like the blockers. And you got the Fed in the back. He's the QV, the quarterback, telling them all what to do. Right. And so that's kind of what we've been seeing here. And so with Facebook coming in, I've always said it's you know, going to be the biggest thing for cryptocurrency, just just for yeah you know, they'll be like the pioneers for us all, you know what I mean, because they're going to have to lay down the trail. They're going to have to deal with the regulations or or just deal with the fines or whatever. Maybe they just chalk it up as a is a business expense, right For. I think it's like a million bucks a day if they if they act uh, I guess if they do the opposite of the money transmitter laws and if they're not you know I guess coherent with the um, with the the fed's regulations and things like that, they have to pay like a million dollar fine or something. So I wonder if they'll just chalk that up as just you know cost of doing business and just move ahead with libra what 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 do you think the government would do at that point? They're just like, yeah, yeah, we'll just pay you the million bucks a day and we're just gonna go do our thing. <laughs> then what?
1: It, you know, the way I see it is, that I, I see it almost as if we've been soldiers training for a battle. And um, and then Facebook's taken us into the battle w- way before we were ever ready. And so whether we like it or not now, Facebook is leading the battle against the regulators. I don't think that the ecosystem is ready to take on the regulators yet. But, um, you know, Facebook's now put us in that position. And for good or for bad, they're going to fight the fight and they're going to set the precedent. So I think we're going to see a whole lot more regulation coming out of this. I think we're going to see a lot more KYC AML um, uh, regulation of exchanges, uh, regulation of wallet hold, uh, of wallet providers, etc. I mean, one of the big things that you saw today was how they they, they spoke about Calibra, uh, which is just the wallet. So what um, what David Marcus said, and he, he wrote this thing before testimony. He said, look. You know the Libra is a decentralized blockchain which anybody can build on. He said the part that Facebook owns is just one wallet called Calibra, Um, and that's and that's effectively effectively what's going to happen. So I think that the regulators and the government are going to put a lot of pressure on wallet providers and exchanges to become more regulated. And I think that as the US does that, so will all the other jurisdictions follow. So I think crypto is about to become very, very, very highly regulated.
0: I can't disagree with you. So with you, um, you've got OnChain, right? So OnChain is kind of, you know, basically allowing people to get into cryptocurrencies. I think mostly accredited investors, right? So like qualified people can get in and start buying, you know, baskets or whatnot of, of cryptocurrencies and kind of get their toe in the water or go full steam ahead and just start investing like crazy. Maybe tell us what it is you're doing there.
1: Yeah, so OnChain is actually an investment company. It started off as my personal investment company with my business partner. And uh, we we started to take outside capital, and onchain essentially has a whole lot of funds. We we have an arbitrage fund. Um, we're now launching a, a VC fund, which we're raising money for at the moment. And that VC fund is a very specific VC fund to invest in companies that go through certain accelerator programs that we are we're a part of and that we have a partnership with, that we're building partnerships with, and so. Yeah, OnChain is an investment company and we essentially look for very early stage investments in the space. We like to be the first check and the second check. And that's really what our thesis is. So right now, we not, we haven't launched any funds that allow people to invest specifically in cryptocurrencies. We think that that market is saturated and we don't believe that we have a competitive edge against you know quant traders and, and, and whatever else. But we like to be uh, early stage investors. And that's really because if you look at the at my background and my business partner's background, we, have a, we both have a love for cryptocurrency and we've been investing for quite a while in the cryptocurrency space. But more than that is, you know, in my old business, essentially, we built and sold a group of 15 businesses, which we fostered internally and entrepreneurially in our group. And that became the biggest group and that exit was highly publicized. It was an exit of over $150 million. And my business partner, other than having a, a lot of exits also has been running programs, accelerator programs, for a while. And so here's, between us, we know how to take early-stage businesses and help them grow and help them build. And take that and couple it with our thesis on cryptocurrencies, and that's what we're building. And our next fund is by far the most interesting fund that we've had. It's going to be a a, twenty-five million to $50 million venture capital fund, first and second check-in. And it's going to be spread across a whole lot of companies that go through the accelerator programs.
0: Excellent. I mean, um, I guess what parts of blockchain excites you the most, especially to open up your wallet to and start investing in? What are you, what are you thinking? Like, you know, Is it infrastructure? Is it wallets? Is it you know, you know, remittance? What, what is it that you guys are looking at?
1: I mean, last year, if you would have asked me this question, I would have said to you, it's protocols, protocols, protocols. It looks like we've been, ironically, we've been protocoled out, but at the same time, we haven't found a scalable solution. I don't know if you saw um, just this weekend this ridiculous proposal to scale Ethereum using the Bitcoin Cash network. Um, how, is, how is that ridiculous? <laughs> I love it. I think that's awesome. Yeah. You need know, two
0: powerhouses come together that make one. That make one killer baby. <laughs>
1: I know. I, I think it's. I think it's. It's. It's amazing that this that the idea happened. And and to be honest, I like the two powers. But what the ridiculous part is that we are saying, you know, without doubt, right now Ethereum is the only hope for a decentralized, a truly decentralized smart contract blockchain, right? Unless you say, okay, Bitcoin is going to fulfill that through SecondLess or um, uh, other solutions like RSK or whatever else. But Ethereum is really the one that's positioned. You know, when you look at things like EOS and Tron, I mean, whereas they are probably sufficiently decentralized, they're not really decentralized. And then you've got other projects which are in the pipeline, things like Casper Labs with their project. Um, and Solana and a whole lot of others you know, uh, in, in terms of these protocols. We're saying, look, we haven't found the right protocol, although we think there are one or two in the pipeline. I, I did mention that Casper Labs is, is launching. and There's a whole lot of other ones um, that are launching soon. And so what we like is we like the, the, the second layer of solutions that work around them. So things like wallets, things like exchanges, um, things like, uh, I don't know, anything that works around it that allows for mass adoption. And That's really what our thesis is. Where we're not running to is we're not running ahead in the DAP race. We're not convinced yet that uh, we're ready to invest in DAPs, but there, is a, there are a whole lot of protocols that we are investing in. Again, I think just to reiterate, the new venture fund which we're launching invests programmatically into any company that goes through the accelerators. And That means that actually we have no control. As long as the company is accepted into the accelerator, the company gets an investment.
0: Mm, interesting. So, how, how, I guess, are they chosen then? Is there a board? And how does the does accelerator, you know, uh, get chosen or the people that run through it?
1: So, we are, so what happens is we take applications for a certain period of time, a couple of months. After the applications are taken in, uh, we, I mean, typically, we get about 1,000 applications for a program. And um, we whittle them down by speaking to the companies, reading proposals, going through pitch decks to about 50 or 100. And then we actually meet the companies individually. And uh, we then have a, an investment committee, uh, which makes a decision as to which ten to accept into the accelerator. And once that's done, then the companies automatically qualify for uh, various types of investment with us.
0: Interesting. So, what's the typical investment that would go into one of these accelerator projects?
1: So, typically, there's about uh, as they enter the, the as they come in the doors. There's between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars available for investment. But then, of course, the objective is to follow on with these companies and to keep going with them. uh, We make available up to about a million dollars per company, maybe even one and a half million per company. But again, that's only after a process of, you know, we take in 10 and there's a process that goes up. And eventually what we like to do is we like to follow the top one or two right through to the end. And um, we've got a programmatic system to invest into this.
0: Awesome, man. Then you got some all-stars on your team too, right? You got uh, Fluffy Pony from Monero. Then you got Michael Jordan. Not, not the Michael Jordan though, right? For basketball? Or is it Jordan? Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. So uh, we've got Fluffy Pony. Fluffy Pony is on our, on our board. And he's, uh, of course, an amazing technical resource. Michael Jordan is a very interesting guy because he was the CEO of the biggest bank in South Africa, but also the most innovative bank in, around the world. So, you know, when he was there, they won the, 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 an award. I don't remember exactly which award it was, but it was an award around being the most technologically innovative bank. And he's an amazing young bank CEO. Like, you'd never imagine that this guy was a CEO of a bank. And he's got a love for crypto. Um, and so we've partnered up with him, and he's a, a shareholder, of course, and he's on the, on the investment committee of, this, of, this, uh, of our organization. And he helps us, uh, you know, make decisions.
0: It's awesome, man. It sounds like you got a young Zuckerberg with you. So oh,
1: he's amazing. <laughs> he, he, he's absolutely, absolutely amazing. And, and again, I think Fluffy Pony is also, I mean, all credit to due. Fluffy is one of the... Probably the most uh, technically competent people in the whole in the space worldwide. Yeah, he's definitely
0: incredible. He's done a lot for the space for sure, especially just with what, uh, you know, what we see with Monero. But you're in New York, man. This is like the most anti-crypto country you could go to. I know it's a state, but it feels like a country because I think, what is it like 80% of the country's wealth is there or something like that, but through <laughs> the banks. What made you pick New York, man? I mean, can you even trade crypto there? Are you allowed to like buy and sell and earn interest and things like that? <laughs>
1: So Yeah, I mean, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. So I left South Africa because in South Africa, there's very little blockchain going on. There are no blockchain developers or cryptographers out there. The level of maths and science in general is not a very high level of maths and science. And what I found was that I found that I was commuting a lot to the United States to come to conferences and to meet with companies that I'm working with. And so I was tossed, I was faced to make a decision in terms of where did I want to live for a while? San Francisco is not my favorite place to live in the world. LA doesn't have the same spirit and blockchain scene. And so I thought what I'd do is I come to New York for a short period of time. And that would be my my bridge or my entry point into the United States. Let me tell you what a culture shock it has been. I mean, it is the most highly overregulated, unentrepreneurial place I've ever come across in my life. Instead of people worrying about how to innovate and create, all people worry about all day long is how to stay on the right side of the law. I've never, ever experienced anything like this in my life. And I, it baffles my mind that any innovation would come out of New York.
0: Yeah, I hear you. the The fact that you said you came to New York kind of baffled me. I'm thinking, man, why did not she stop at Florida? I mean, if you're coming, <laughs> if
1: you're coming to the U.S., man.
0: You got Miami, you got Orlando, you got a couple spots right there. But uh, I mean, you can even go to Philadelphia, I guess. But or Boston, but or Massachusetts. But uh, yeah, awesome, man. And so, you know, what are, what are you doing for fun now, man? I mean, I know that you, you said you're married, so you you come to New York. but when you're not doing crypto, what are you doing to relax? When you're not in your man cave watching, you know, me on the big screen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so look, I've got three kids, I've got three young kids, I've got a three-year-old, I've got a one-and-a-half-year-old, and I've got a two-week-old or a three-week-old. Um, so the kids keep me occupied. Uh, they've really become the center of my life. And the, you know, spending time with my family, as you probably know, in crypto life, we travel a lot. And it's not as glamorous as it seems. You know, Last year, I did uh, 50 international flights uh, last year, including… Over a 200-day period, I spent 800 hours in the air, which means that on average, I spent four hours of every day flying.
0: You're getting um, cancer for sure. Yeah, you're getting I, cancer.
1: I mean, that's not. <laughs> you're too that, close to
0: the not, sun. That's all that that's radiation. Awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not glamorous at all. So I think, that, you know, I mean, I spend a lot of time with my family. Uh, anyone that knows me also knows that I love uh, flying helicopters. I love water skiing, wakeboarding. So yeah, I mean, uh, th- this is what I do. And of course, I've got a very soft spot for horse riding. I, I used to be a show jumper back in my day.
0: Wow, man! So no race cars. I mean, if you're you know if you're a show jumper, you know jockey, no, no race, cars, I mean, race cars, no race huh? cars,
1: man, no race cars.
0: Maybe next time. Maybe next I'm, more, time.
1: I'm, more, I'm more a helicopter person than I am a car person. I, I don't drive. I don't drive very well, but I think I fly okay.
0: All right. So you can fly a helicopter. What's, what's some of the craziest stuff that you've been able to do up there and not crash?
1: The fact that I'm able to fly is already crazy. I mean, if any, anyone tells you I've got the worst ADD in, in a human that could ever happen. But it actually, I find that the helicopter flying actually helps me quite a bit to be in the moment and to, and to concentrate. I don't do crazy stuff in helicopters because I realize that, you know, I, I mean, I have gone on, before I got married, I went on many dates uh using the helicopter and uh disappearing into the sun it's it, it, the sunset, but uh you know that's probably for another podcast on the, another uh, another age restriction,
0: yeah, I bet I bet yeah i've I've seen people you know they've got crop dusters out here where we live, and they have these helicopters, and they'll go underneath the the underneath like the telephone wires and the power lines and you know do like these freaking loop to loops and' I'm like, what are you guys doing so none of that you guys use yeah, you know, for extreme well, dates.
1: When I trained as a helicopter pilot, I had a, a guy who trained me and um, he, the guy had done probably 20,000 hours in a helicopter. He was one of the best pilots that I'd ever met. And you know, the one day that I said, I said to him, I said to him, everything you've taught me, I feel so confident that nothing can happen to me in a helicopter. How do people actually crash? Like, I don't understand. Like, you've taught me how to land without an engine. You've taught me how to land without a tail rotor. You've taught me how to land when this machine's on fire. Tell me how people die. And I'll never forget this. He said to me, you wake up in the morning and you've promised your girlfriend that you're going to meet her at a game reserve. And you wake up and you look up and you see that it's cloudy and the weather's not perfect. And you take off and it's a little bit windier than you thought. And when you arrive, there's nowhere to land except in the trees. And as you try and land in the trees, what happens is you clip a tree and the the helicopter goes flying. And so that was my flight training. And my first flight after flight school, I met a girl And I said I was going to go visit her in a game reserve. And I woke up in the morning and the weather wasn't that great. And I flew to the game reserve. And when I got there, it was windy. And when I got there, there was nowhere to land. And there were trees. And as... I was landing. I thought to myself, "This is how people die." And that was the last time that I ever did any shit like that.
0: <laughs> that is that is pretty nutty, man. No. So you got you got three kids. So what's what's your favorite kid movie, man? You, you probably have something you know, like uh, I don't know, like the Lion King, or you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: If I ever hear Pepper Pig again. Pepper
0: Pig. If I ever hear Peppa Pig
1: again. Pepper pig. Peppa pig again. No, no, but uh, no jokes. I do actually enjoy The Lion King very much.
0: I'm looking forward to seeing the new one that's coming out myself. You know, I grew up on The Lion yeah. King. so. But I figured you know, with, with, with three tiny you know, kids, man, you're, you're definitely going to be seeing some pepper Pig, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: when I came to New York, I thought, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and take my son, who's three years old, to go and watch The Lion King. He knows all the songs. And I just thought it would be the most incredible adventure to take him and see The Lion King. And as you know, tickets to Lion King aren't that cheap. I mean, I think you land up paying four or 500 bucks for a three-year-old to go watch Lion King. And as we walked into the theater, he fell asleep.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome, man. (laughs) Kids. but
1: uh... Yeah, Yeah, so my family take up most of my my, my spare time. And uh, to be honest, I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: Cool. You got a favorite book, something you recommend to other people? Obviously you're super successful. You got a background in finance.
1: I don't have a favorite book. Uh, Although I read a lot of books, but I am reading one which I, which surprisingly has been a great read. Now I'm reading the secrets of Sand Hill Road by Scott Cooper, which is a book about venture capital. Now Mm -hmm. I really thought that it would be a basic book, which really spells out a B and C of venture capital. But the way that he's written it, it actually, it's, it's so much fun to read. And I've been reading it on the last, like, three or four flights that I've been on. And I, I, To be honest, I can't put it down.
0: It's awesome, man. Yeah, Tim Draper, all those guys are on there, Samuel Road. It's pretty iconic yeah. over on this, on this side of the country. Yep. All right, and then uh, last question for you, man. If you had a time machine you could go back or forward, when would you go? But you had to stay there, though. You couldn't come back. So you could only go backwards or you could only go forwards, but it had to be a, to a specific date and you couldn't come back. Where, why, and when?
1: Hmm. I know you want a juicy answer, like to go back onto one of the dates that I was on and to stay on that date right. for as long as I can remember. Like yesterday, that's for, short Bitcoin. that's for another. That's for another channel. That the one with the age restriction. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, it would be wrong of me to say that I didn't want to go back to the, you know, you know, when Satoshi wrote the white paper there or thereabouts, and probably twenty ten, and you know, start getting my hands to some real Bitcoin and. You know, then stay there for a while and watch it grow as, as time passed by. I think that's a big dream that everybody in crypto has. If only I had got in earlier.
0: Yeah, you definitely hear that quite a bit. Good old Satoshi. Well,
1: now is earlier. Now is earlier.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, when you look at it, if we all believe it's going to be worth hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, I mean, yeah, honestly, we could have made more money if we bought in 2009 or first part of 10. But, you know, I think I think we'll all be okay in the in the end. What do you think?
1: You know, Tushar Jain wrote, he's from Altcoin Capital, he wrote a tweet the other day and he said, you know, gold's market capitalization, I think he said was $8.1 trillion. And if you take Bitcoin, when it has all its coins, you're talking about $400,000 a coin, if Bitcoin is to compete with gold. Now, if you believe that Bitcoin is actually digital gold and will replace gold, then you'll realize that Bitcoin is going to have a much bigger market cap than the current gold price. And that's because of how easy it is to store and transport, uh, as compared to physical gold, and so you know if you, you think, take
0: wheelbarrows, you don't take wheelbarrows of gold with you everywhere, you know, and just push them down the street.
1: Uh, you know, I used to, <laughs> but I, I stopped that now. My, my my shrink says I should stop that shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just push a button and you got a bitcoin in your wallet.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah, but you you know, imagine- it's incredible. It's incredible. Imagine going back to, you know, the guys that in, in the gold rush of the nineteen hundreds. Imagine going back to them and saying, look, we've got this digital gold and click.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably hit us with a shovel. But yeah. uh, do you actually use Bitcoin for peer-to-peer cash or just as a store of value? I always love to see, you know, what people say when do you actually use it in commerce?
1: So I don't believe that Bitcoin is peer-to-peer cash. Um, I think that that's what the white paper said. I think Bitcoin is a a peer-to-peer store of value. I don't think that the Bitcoin chain needs to scale because I think that if you look at at Bitcoin as a store of value, you don't need to move a lot of it. I kind of think let Bitcoin Cash or Litecoin or uh, BSV, that that swear word, um, let those guys have the payments. I think that Bitcoin is digital gold. For me, it's certainly digital gold. And so you ask me, do I spend Bitcoin? No, I accumulate Bitcoin. If anyone offers to pay me, of course, the first thing I ask is to pay me <laughs> Bitcoin. But I don't offer to pay Bitcoin to anybody. Because for me, Bitcoin is like a, it's a one-way, it's a one-way stream. It's not a two-way stream.
0: No, I hear you. But when you just said, you know, I was only paid in Bitcoin, you just moved to New York, buddy. You don't say that out loud. <laughs> no.
1: well, I have to tell you, I have to tell you a funny story. When my first son was born, he was born in 2016. And by that time, I was kind of all in on Bitcoin. And the day, the day he was born, I bought him an amount of Bitcoin. I'm not going to say the amount because, you know, the people start to look and et cetera. But I also bought myself the equivalent amount. And his Bitcoin I put onto a cold wallet and it is where it is. And I haven't even opened it up for the forks. I haven't taken the Bitcoin Cash fork or the BSV fork or any of those forks. My Bitcoin, I played with. I invested in some altcoins. I invested in some ICOs. Let me tell you that today he's got more Bitcoin than I have. And uh, that for me became the lesson of saying, look, Bitcoin, you don't spend. You buy it or you receive it and you hold it. And uh, it's something that you hold. The way I see it, my parents, we, we five boys and we came from a relatively humble and quite a poor family. And my parents had to save their whole lives so that I could have an education. And the way that I see it, today you have this gift, if you put some money into Bitcoin when your kids are born, you may not have to, you may not have to ever um, save for them monthly for them to go to, uh, to college or, or, or to whatever else. And I think it's, it's, it's a gift that's been given to our generation where there is this new um, leap of technology and we've heard about it at the right time before the rest of the world starts to adopt it. And if it does work, it's probably the biggest redistributor of wealth that our generation will ever see.
0: Yeah, Bitcoin is definitely incredible. That's why I have the war cry, leave Bitcoin alone. So you probably yeah. saw my video. <laughs> I've saying it for years, leave Bitcoin yeah. alone. <laughs> there you go, man. Use Bitcoin Cash for peer-to-peer cash, but Bitcoin is a store of value. So stop messing Who with Who cares the about
1: cash? Who cares about cash? Cash doesn't appreciate. You know, gold yeah. appreciates, store of value appreciates. Cash is made to be spent. I mean, I don't mind if they come up with an algorithmic stable coin. That's great for me, I, w- I want to store my value in Bitcoin. I'm sure. not discounting. I'm not discounting the fact that there may be other platforms that are tokenized. Um, but I mean, again, I think Bitcoin is the one that's really shown the network effect um, and is the most mature. You can't argue that.
0: Can't disagree. Cool, man. So, is there anything else that uh, you want to let people know before I let you get off to bed? I you know it's late there.
1: No, I mean, I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking very forward to uh, what's going to happen in the hearings in the next two days. Uh, I think that. Um, We've now gone into battle, and um, the next two days are going to be telling. And I think they're going to be big implications from what happens in the next two days. Either way,
0: yeah, definitely going to be a lot of news, quite a bit of clarity. Curious to see what actually you know happens regulation wise from this, because it usually takes them a while to actually you know draft bills, you know get them passed, all that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be a little bit before we're there, but I think we're definitely going to see you know the. We're gonna hear more of the tone and kind of more of the direction that we're gonna be all leading down. But I think you're right. At the end it's a lot more KYC, a lot more regulation, a lot more, hey, don't mess with our don't mess with the way we have things now. We like our old guard. We like we like our, our US dollar.
1: <laughs> what <laughs> do you think what do you think are the chances of Facebook actually launching Libra in Q one of twenty twenty, like they decided? Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. Impossible. Impossible.
0: Right,
1: yeah. Do you I, think that there is a chance that Facebook
0: won't ever launch Libra? Yeah, there is a chance. Only because, I mean, I would say that there's a chance, but I would say that it's probably less than a 10% chance. They failed once before with a digital currency. It wasn't crypto. But I think that they, you know, with the team that they've assembled with, you know, kind of (laughs) the money that they have backing them, they're going to make it happen. They're going to make it happen for everybody. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty incredible one way or another just for the space and for all the visibility that's going to bring people. But I, I still think we're a ways away because the government moves really, really slow. You know, unless you're Al Capone or somebody like that, they move in like a, like a ton of bricks, right? But when it comes to like passing legislation and regulation, and, you know, kind of, you know, explaining to us the, 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 I guess, the legalese, and to be clear on how everything's supposed to work, I think that's going to take a little bit of time, so.
1: Uh, do you think that, do you think that after Facebook coin launches, the next coin will be the Amazon coin? I mean, Amazon does do many more transactions than Facebook does
0: today, right? See, the thing with Amazon though is Bezos is pretty brilliant, right? So I don't, I, I do think he'll have his own crypto, but I think they offer more of the tech stack. They're offering servers and nodes to the world, right? So they're kind of blockchain agnostic rather than them planting their own flag and try to be, you know, really divisive. They could just say, we're open. We're open for business, baby. Come on down. Run all your nodes with us. And then they would basically be, you know, the blockchain hub for everybody. You can already see the CIA trust them with with their storage, the Washington Post, governments. I mean, so why? I mean, they could use a, a currency of their own. I imagine they will. But I don't think they're going to go as far as like Libra and Facebook. I think they're going to try to like be the, you know, be the utility for all blockchains. Amazing. Amazing. Right. That's just mom take, though. I could be wrong. I am a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's wait and see. Exciting times ahead and Sydney. A great place to be playing.
0: Right on, brother. Well, I'm sure I'll see you at the next conference. I've got uh, pretty much like one or two every month. So I'm sure I'll see you on another one or sit on a panel with you again here soon. And But uh, I'll let you get at it. And we'll have to do this again sometime.
1: Great. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a great honor. Thank you very much.
0: Anytime, Rand. God bless.
1: Hey, welcome back everybody. Huge thanks to
0: Rand. Appreciate you, buddy. I look forward to seeing you at some more conferences and seeing all the cool stuff that you keep doing in the space. Just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beatles shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is a co-founder of the Monarch Wallet. Host of Trading View sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money. So always trade at your own risk. Please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the family. God bless you. Love you. Till the next one. Talk to you soon.